that next level, like winning en route and yeah. being written up in the New York Times, yeah. like those things never would have happened if the design hadn't been on par. Welcome to Design Makes Everything Better, a podcast about design as a process for making decisions and succeeding. Today on episode four, Vince interviews Jane Wright, founder of Jane's on the Common and Jane's Catering and Events, researcher and beloved local personality. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, podcast listeners. Thank you for checking in. I am Vince Vandenbrink. We have a great conversation with Jane Wright, owner of a restaurant that used to be in our little town, Halifax, called Jane's on the Common. While Breakhouse was in its infancy at that time, it's a place that we actually talk about a fair bit and I'm asked about on occasion still. Um, and this is many years after it has since closed. Um, now, if you are listening to this podcast and you do not uh, know the restaurant or if you've never heard of Jane's, uh, it's not really necessary. If you are a designer with the aspirations of working with a restaurant owner to create an environment, you will find a lot in here that I think you will find helpful. Or if you are a restaurant owner and you're trying to find a designer to partner with, I hope you'll find something valuable in this as well. I think you will. Another quick note, you'll hear a voice uh, that is not necessarily familiar to the podcast, and that is Peter Vunch. He's my business partner. The audio quality is not as great as we would like, but don't worry, your ear will get used to it. Enjoy the podcast. So Jane's on the common. I've been so surprised, I have to admit, as much as I loved it and as dear as it was to me and to the office, how often I still have conversations with people that bring up Jane's and maybe they're asking me, why did it ever go? I'm so sorry to see that we don't have it anymore. And how important it was to the culture of dining in Halifax. Uh, we had a podcast conversation just a few weeks ago with somebody that said how critical and, and valuable it was to the city. And outside of that, it had national attention and you had foodies from all over the states flying in to, to eat at, at Jane's. So what was it, do you think, if there's a few things maybe, or if there was one maybe, what was it that made it so important to people and what was it that uh, people connected with? Well, I feel like you're going to make me cry. Oh, that's okay. You're allowed <laughs> no. to cry here. Oh, boy. We got a lot of things right. Yeah. Like, right, I could say right from the start, but mm -hmm. we didn't have a sign for three months. So, in a sense, it wasn't all built mm -hmm. the day it opened. I mean, it was close, but um, we got a lot of things right. The food was good. It was hot. It was fresh. It was in the neighborhood. Yeah. It um, felt great being in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you ask me one thing that made it, like, over the top, mm. it would have been the lighting. The lighting. <laughs> the lighting. Yeah. That restaurant just shone. Like, yeah. it glowed at night. You you looked fantastic when you were in there. The mm. You know, I don't know. The lighting was really... Yeah, who knew? Yeah. <laughs> and the most expensive light in there was a twenty four ninety nine. And back when that opened in 2003? 2003, yeah. You know, that is still a cheap light. <laughs> 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 uh, 
no matter how you look at it, that's oh, a no, cheap no. light, right? That was a very cheap light. <laughs> there are, and there would have been, as my memory serves me well enough, that there were a lot of other restaurants at that time that were, that were nice to be in, that had a well-designed environment. Was it that the food was a, just different enough that people couldn't find anything like that in the city? Or was it that the, the design was just that bit better or what it's over the years like I've I've just been in there and just enjoyed spending time and is it purely do you think just because it was just so comfortable and you looked good and it just it was inviting well it was the service I mean they always say a successful restaurant you have I mean the food's got to be good Mm -hmm. the hospitality's got to be good and the space has to be inviting and yeah you know so you need all three elements and you know, we hit that with Jane's. In the beginning, I thought I didn't need any help. I was just going to get some paint and paint up the old diner. But in hindsight, you know, and I might have been a busy little neighborhood diner if I'd done that. But that next level, like winning en route and yeah. being written up in the New York Times, yeah. like those things never would have happened if the design hadn't been on par. Right. Like we were dishing up. You know, good food. It wasn't the best food at all. Mm. Like, no way would I say that. I, Jane's on the Common served up haddock and mashed potatoes. It's yeah, like, it was comfort food. You'd have a really hard time finding haddock now. You know, our concept was common food, so right. we served haddock. Um, the fancier restaurant, you would never find haddock on mm-hmm. one of the popular restaurants these days. Go back to that point when you said, you know, you were gonna just paint it yourself like what it was why did you it was my hairdresser fred 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 the hairdresser he he believed in the location when no one else did i almost abandoned the idea of going after that space to open a restaurant because everyone was so negative about it but he believed in the space and so i i went oh wow and (laughs) I moved ahead with the plan just on the basis of his casual remarks saying mm-hmm. he thought it was a great location. Right. And then he told me that uh, Peter had just stepped out into the design world mm-hmm. doing, you know, commercial design work. And he really thought it would be a good idea a for good me way to, to, approach to, it. to see, you know, to get in touch with them. Like, whoa, am I ever glad I did that? <laughs> <laughs> so... So okay, then you 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 decide that there's on the on the recommendation from from Fred, who's successful in his own right and with the salons and and the work that he's done and the spaces that he's created. So it, that came with a degree of credibility. So I can imagine you you wanting to take his his advice. So was it an open question? Like I'm wondering how someone like yourself makes a decision as to who to work with as a partner. Like you're saying now it was a great decision because it worked out really well. When you start off, you you don't know if this is going to work well. So how do you as a restaurant owner or in your position, what can you think of a maybe a reason or maybe there was something that made you feel comfortable in moving into that partnership? Did you ask no. others as well? No. No. I don't know what I would have done, actually. I think I would have just carried on yourself. trying yeah. to paint it myself. Like, it was one of those magical things that happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had done a lot of work with graphic designers in my past jobs, so I was somebody who did believe if you hired somebody to do some design work that yeah. you 
try to give them as much, the more freedom you give them or the less restrictions, the better yeah. the product. Right, right. <laughs> so I kind of believed in that from, yeah. I knew that inside me that if I was going to work with these guys, I wasn't going to micromanage their stuff, right? their work. They also offered me the deal of a lifetime. I mean, I, I didn't mm-hmm. really understand that at the time. Right. Neither did we. Yes. <laughs> Peter, I think it's uh, it'd be interesting to hear from from your point of view when you first got the call from Jane. What that was like was it? What did it mean to you when she called up and asked for some help? And was it? Did it feel like the, potentially the the opportunity that it turned into? Well, no. I mean, that was the first big restaurant gig, so it was very exciting. Before that, it was. It had been sort of retail store type stuff, but it was really fun to think of creating a full restaurant environment for someone else with their money. Yeah. Wasn't sure how much I was going to be. <laughs> it was one credit card full anyway. Nobody has, nobody has ever opened a restaurant for as little as what I opened a restaurant for. That I is, think that is possible. I think. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but did you, like you said that you really trusted the process did did you come with any ideas did you did you have a vision for it well i i did have a vision mm-hmm. in the beginning I, I did bring a book i just had a very short yeah, passage yeah, that, yeah. Sure. that was very instrument very left a huge impression on me and i guess was formulating right. when i was thinking about my restaurant right. and it's called uh, restaurants that work case studies of the best in the industry by martin e dorf Right. So what we'll do is we'll we'll show some photographs of this okay. in the in the podcast notes so that people can can see what you're talking about. It, in the first like ten pages, there's this beautiful historical perspective about restaurants and their mm-hmm. development in the world. And I get to this place about bistros, mm-hmm. and it says bistros evolved mostly out of necessity rather than design to serve workers near or in lay house in the decades of the 19th century. With their honest homemade cooking and fair prices, they became havens for struggling artists and journalists throughout Paris, whose garrets didn't have kitchens. Customers both dined and virtually lived in their favorite bistros, where grandmotherly women or mares nurtured their souls with cuisine des mares. The allure of these bistros is and always has been their deeply satisfying down-to-earth cooking served in a warm, homey, softly lighted environment. This sounds beautiful. So that's what mm. I had in my, in me. Yeah. And when I met with them, I told them that I really liked the color red. I wanted an informal chalkboard-style menu. And I wanted the design to be classic, like a sleeveless black dress. Nice. And they delivered. <laughs> it's true. It was those three things. Jane's on the common. That was it. But it started, it's interesting that it started from an emotive place. That piece that you just read was, it's, it's interesting to me that, that that's where you imagined this space to be. I could feel it. I could feel mm-hmm. that the price would mean that someone could come, you know, more than once a week, you know, that the price would be at that point. They were about to dig the hole to build the condo, that those apartments across the street. Mm -hmm. And I thought, 
well, there's the modern day equivalent. So Peter, when, when that was described to, to you, where did you go from there? Like what was the, did you go straight to Home Depot and pick out that thing that looked closest to a dress or like what? No, Tell me about I have to say that's one of the best kind of creative briefs we've ever had from a client. Like A, clients that trust designers to do the work, like however you just put it. You're going to hire someone and you don't want to micromanage them because you're not going to get the right, you're not going to get the best out of them. And then a vision that had those kind of strong points, but again, nice high level. Like we would interpret what a sleeveless black dress means and what that kind of your words, which were carefully chosen and condensed into nice clean thoughts. We kind of didn't, you let us go with that. And we, I think we came back to say, all right, we'll set the table with how this concept could work. And as I recall, we set the table with a bottle of wine at our first meeting. In your garage. In my garage studio. And uh, yeah. The first presentation was set up as a dinner? We literally set in the restaurant. a dinner did, plate. Did you, was it like, um, these nope, are the no kinds food. of plates that you would be using? Is it, was it like a tableware it presentation was. or was it? What? No, it was, uh, it wasn't metaphorical because it was actual, but they were symbolic. So it wasn't like, here's the plate, here's no. the linen. It was, no. here's a feel that we're interpreting the beginnings it's of. It's just the feeling. It was just the table set on the white linen. And then you had those sort of conceptual boards of color and... Um, that is such yeah. a great way to present a restaurant idea yeah. as a first presentation. I, I think about that today and, you know, some of our... Oh, that sounds delicious. <laughs> I think, there you go, the, the sound is very important. I oh, think... It's always important. That's a good sound. But, okay, maybe I can reframe it. I wonder how that would be received to clients today if we sat around a table like sometimes, what, sometimes i think that you know it was easier because i had less preconceived ideas of what it could be ideas sure. about what it could be they mm. they were sort of ahead of me like when mm -hmm. i think now you know back to when jenna was uh, working on edna your daughter jenna yeah. my daughter jenna sorry was developing edna it was a harder process because she had come to it with much further down the creative journey, I guess, than I right. did. Like, these guys got me just, like, like that's all I had. It's so true. You know, so right? I didn't get too far down. Mm. I'm sure you have to spend a lot of your time trying to talk clients out of doing stuff that they want to do. Yeah. I'm sure it's, it's huge. You do, it you is. do, because you, you can see that they have a preconceived notion of what an experience could be or should look like, say, and the way that they describe it, most often, unfortunately, not as beautifully in a way that you had it, but there's often a disconnect. So you have to try to steer them away from that so that mm -hmm. you can say what you're talking about doesn't line up with what you're sharing, like what you're showing. Like they're, they're, you won't have that experience that you're, that you're hoping for. So it's sometimes, sometimes that's not the case, right? And sometimes we meet with clients that are exceptionally into well in tune with what an experience is and, and they have a very clear vision and we work with them to help make that vision a, a reality and sometimes it's more rare i would say for us to have someone like yourself come in with um i, I think your origin story is, is super interesting with with no restaurant experience 
as well as necessarily the design experience. This was the first restaurant that you ever oh, first opened. Business, first, first, first business, Absolutely. everything. Before this, you were a political staffer. Mm-hmm. How do you move from that space into deciding that you want to open up a restaurant? Mm-hmm. What was that? I'm like? a librarian by training. A librarian by training. And I got out every book in the library on how to open a restaurant. And then I opened a Word document. And what to me is one of the most remarkable things about the Jane story is how fast it happened. Mm. It's not like, I, I mean, I literally, I worked in an office for 20 years, but I didn't go to the office every day and dream about opening a restaurant. The idea came into my head on March 1st. And on September 1st, we opened. September. So it was six months. That is, that is crazy fast, especially coming from what you were doing before March 1st. I know. I, I spent more time negotiating the year's leave of absence from my good job at the union than I did negotiating my lease at right. the restaurant. Because I just assumed, like everyone else, that I was just going to fall, you know, that it wasn't going to work. I was about two months into the restaurant when I read the statistic that 50% of new restaurants fail in the first three years or something. I mean, I was ready for a risk in my life. Yeah, so I, I, I'm still trying to picture you at on March 1st, or, or what would have happened that made you want to do this? Like, what, what, like, there, where does this, where does this uh, come from? There were a couple I'm things going on. My mother had been diagnosed with terminal cancer just right around that time, mm. and she brought me up to believe that getting a pension was the most important thing in life. So it was just like, oh my God, like life is short, right? She worked her whole mm. life to get a pension and then, you know, die. You know, I had this wind in my sails that, boy, if you're going to do something, you got to do it now because life is short. And I was also in discussions to go and take a job in Ottawa at the time. So I mm. was thinking about packing up and starting up in another big job in, mm-hmm. in Ottawa. I just had this epiphany. I was standing on the street outside that old Commons Grill, and I went, I'm not going to go to Ottawa and work that hard. I'm going to open a restaurant. And that'll be easy. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but I, I did work in a restaurant when I was in university right. as a waitress, and it was fun. Right. And that's what I remembered about it, like that it was joyful. I wanted my day to involve joy. I couldn't think of a better way than... To serve food to people in a nice, welcoming environment. Cheers. I haven't had a sip yet here. I'm watching you guys <laughs> drink away. The way that, the, the sort of emotive reason to open up a restaurant, I think carried through on how it, it operated, how it looked, what the food was. Like that, I think that's one of the reasons people were so drawn to it, because... You, you, you really felt the, the story that you, you shared, like it was a place of comfort. But it becomes this, this beautiful backdrop. And I, I remember telling you something like this before of, of people's lives and Jane's in particular, like restaurants can do that in general, but mm-hmm. like the really great ones, it becomes a backdrop to their, to their lives. You know, like I can't tell you how many significant conversations my wife now, Lucy and I would have in 
Jane's. Oh, I could see you. I know exactly where you were sitting. Yeah, it's, it's, I could see you. You were at table yeah. ten. <laughs> table ten. <laughs> and I like I knew, who would, I'd never have known that we would have been in a room like this having a conversation, reflecting back on it. But if we needed to sort something out, we wouldn't do it in our living room. If we needed to to talk through something. We would go to a place that was comfortable and we would be right next to strangers, which was also very, very uncommon at the time to do. And we would have really personal conversations in that space, that food, that service. You, you felt like you could do that there. There were people to the bitter end. I got one of the worst complaint letters I ever got three months before I closed. Oh. And it was all about the noise in there. But I feel because it was so loud and kind of bustling, that you actually focused on the person that you were with, with an intensity that you don't normally do. The person next to you couldn't hear what you were saying, so it was actually like a really private place to have a conversation. Yeah, it's funny, after all that, I would never have thought of it that way. I thought that everybody that was sitting around us was hearing every bit of our conversation, but I, at the same time, I... Oddly, can't remember what people beside us were saying. So you're right. Gone are those days. Like the tables at Jane's were 18 inches apart. Mm -hmm. And you could sit and talk to the, you know, there was a, it was conducive to talking to strangers. Mm -hmm. And the magic that I saw at that bench. Yeah. With strangers talking to strangers. uh, So moving. Yeah. So for Um, those who don't know, there was a long bench that had its back to the window that overlooked Roby Street, which was one of the main, or still is one of the main arteries in and out of of Halifax. So it was a really busy street with a huge window right next to it. There's an image of um, an artist, I can't remember the artist's name, Peter, you might remember, which was an image that I've always seen and as a... It's Edward Hopper. Edward Hopper, thank you very much. That beautiful image looking into the the diner. Nighthawks, yeah. yeah, and that it did. It did have that sort of a feel to it, right? Well, it's sort it's of floor a, to ceiling, plate glass, yeah. single plate glass yeah. windows. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of window. Yeah, yeah. So the to come back to the noise piece was like I'm. I'm assuming, and I, this might not be right, but even with the background in film that you had, Peter, before working with Jane's sound was probably not considered as a product in the space that you would have to contend with? Or was it just like a happy outcome? Because sometimes it's Oh, it was like but... we didn't have any money to do anything else. Right. To, to deaden the sound. Hard con- or hard tile floors, yeah. hard ceiling. Massive we were wall aware, of glass. But, but the bustlingness worked, so. Sometimes there'd be an, you know, a couple in there in their 80s come out to dinner on a mm. crappy night and they just sort of say, we like coming here because it makes us feel alive. Yeah. You know, it, it had a lot of energy from that noise. Yeah. Lots of people wouldn't go there because of the noise. Right. Lots of people wouldn't go there because I was a known New Democrat. Right. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> what are you going to do? I don't know. <laughs> so looking back at it, or on it, I should say, would you say there is um, maybe something you would have done differently that might have make it, made it work a little bit better? I wouldn't have done it in a building that I didn't own. Right, yeah. (laughs) Because what what I learned really in my 18 years of business is if you don't own the building or Mm. that you're in, you really, you don't have anything Mm. in the end. 
So that's kind of hard. Like in restaurants, you're putting in significant leaseholds into a space mm-hmm. that that's tough business. You know, in, in, in hindsight, in some ways, like I think 10 years was a really nice run for Jane's. You know, it opened, it had a beginning, a middle and an end. When I announced I was closing, the last three months were the busiest three months I ever had in business. I always say the, the best thing I ever did in business was announce I was closing my business. <laughs> Maybe that's why musicians do farewell tours over and over and over again, right? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you made so, good selections, I would say, in your book choice as a librarian because you, I remember, because you, you read every, seemed like every restaurant book out there. And some of them were very kind of numbers-based, but clearly none of them were that negative side of, I was trying to think of, like Anthony Bourdain wrote in one of his books about that kind of hubris side of the restaurant world where, like, there's no doubt when you have a a busy, successful restaurant, you feel like the queen of the world, right? It's like, it's a cool feeling to have a busy, hopping spot. And that's the kind of, you know, cocaine that sucks a lot of people in Mm -hmm. and, and their money goes down the endless pit. Clearly, you didn't read that chapter of any of those books, which was good, you know? You know what happened to me in the very first month? In the very first month, I only had like 11 tables in that restaurant. It was so small. And people, then just as they were finishing their lunches, I spent about 45 seconds at their table. And I just, you know, I said, oh, I hope you enjoyed your lunch. And she told me in very few minutes that her name was Jane, that her brother was bringing her there for her lunch, uh, for her birthday. It was her birthday, and her brother was bringing her to this restaurant, Jane's, for lunch. And that was all I said. When I got home from work late that night, there was an email from that woman that basically said she had never felt so welcome anywhere she'd ever been in her life. And right then and there, like, that was my purpose. (laughs) Like, it was so easy to be kind. And to make a difference in someone's life, it was so easy to mm. do it. It didn't cost you anything in business. I mean, from that day on, when there was a, a car out front and some lady was getting out with a walker, I had my staff trained. They were out, they were out on the curb <laughs> helping that woman with the walker. Like, mm. those little things were, yeah, that, I, that so... to me drove me every day. I think the economics of restaurants are very messed up. You know, I tried to keep the prices at Jane's low, but yeah. it's as a model, it, it it doesn't work. It's not sustainable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's people. I remember your daughter saying the same thing. Her, the busiest months of the restaurant might have been the worst of the year with Edna. So, yeah. Sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it it we don't pay enough. The the public is so sensitive to the price of restaurant food and restaurant. You know. When people are complaining your food's too expensive, you know, you, you, you feel bad, you want to keep the prices down, but it's not right. Like, there's mm-hmm. a fundamental problem yeah. with it. And I, Jen Ag, that Toronto restaurateur, had a great article in The Globe last month about, you know, sort of what's happening with, to restaurants in the pandemic. She owns three or four places in Toronto. And she just said, until the dining public is prepared to pay significantly more, you know, there, there isn't really much future for restaurants. It's really on the extreme. Like, who can pay $500 for dinner for two? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, the sad thing is that it's, it's so far from the story that you read earlier. It is. Right? 
like yeah, it's a, no, it's a com- two stories are that yeah. that story of the the daily dining because it's kind of like a self uh, fulfilling bad prophecy because you do want to offer that daily experience and that has to be affordable you know especially mm-hmm. in the global economy where you can buy things for so cheap yes. you know and yes you, it's hard to justify you know comparing a meal out to whatever else it could be a, a coat or a, you know what yes. I mean so and then people well, always say oh well I could make that at home for that you know well, that's <laughs> they don't well, look at the coat and see that no, they don't. No, they don't. But the food they do. But yeah. I, I, I do think that people understand outside of that story, the majority of people understand that going to a restaurant is an experience that they're buying into. They could eat at home. If they don't have enough food in the house, they can go get some groceries and come sit down and, and eat. And I don't think that this is a convenience story with most restaurants, the good ones especially. Like they're not going to. Jane's because it was a convenient thing to do. Maybe a little bit, yeah. but I would think a bigger part of it was that they wanted to be in that atmosphere. They wanted to share a meal, right? So then I think the question is, in the experience-based economics for a restaurant, it's not about how much food costs or what the service costs the restaurant owner, but what is that experience worth? You know, like if you sit down in a seat to watch a, a Maple Leafs hockey game, right? It's, it's an expensive seat and you're just watching really good people play hockey. Mm-hmm. And where you sit in that stadium is a different price point. If you're sitting right up at the front, you are willing to pay $300 more, or maybe mm-hmm. even more than that, than you would be if you were 20 rows back. You're watching the same game. You're getting the same information, but the experience is fundamentally different. And people can accept that. People can really accept that I'm going to pay this really high level of money and I can watch it at home, right? I can read about it the next day. I can watch the highlights, but they're buying that experience. And I think if restaurants can get to a place where they can communicate with the customer base, that they're buying into that, they're not just buying a plate of nachos. I don't know. That That's a lot of pressure to deliver. If you're going towards experience, I was yeah. going to say that you had it at Jane's. Like, it wasn't, you weren't trying to sell an experience, but because you were this bumping spot with energy, that was the experience we were happy to pay for. Like, Vince was happy to go there and talk to his wife in that buzzy room. Fight with yes. her, actually. Fight yes. with his yes. wife <laughs> in the buzzy room because that experience yeah. was better than having it at home. At home. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You definitely had it. You were selling an experience. Uh, or you had the yeah. magic that every restaurant wants to have. You know? no. Like, I remember thinking many a time that it was surprisingly affordable for what we got out mm-hmm. of it. Like, I, I remember it wasn't a hard decision as to mm-hmm. where to go. And I do hope that restaurant owners in the future just look at the economic structure slightly different. And yeah. if they do look at it differently, they, they may be able to recognize that there's possibly a smaller group of people that would be going there regularly just because it's difficult uh-huh. to afford. But that it gives it the model that you're talking about, which is making it sustainable. 
where I was going was I think they need to put the prices up, like mm-hmm. collectively, if everyone did it. Yeah. But if new places are opening and putting things back to $13, then somebody, you know, right. they can't charge $18 for a gourmet burger when places are opening today and they're back at the $13 level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, yeah, the economics is very, very tough. As a business, then, in, in the world of hospitality, given everything that makes it challenging, you know, how important is design in that business decision? To me, it's a full third. Yeah. <laughs> a third of the, the equation. You know, you need the food, you need the front of the house, and, and you, need that set, you need the setting. Yeah. And sometimes I find, like, restaurants have moved quite a bit to the sort of superstar chef model. Yeah. So they're in the back, and they don't necessarily have anyone out front who's as strong as they are. I guess. like I, mm-hmm. I think having a strong front person yeah. is really, really important. And I think sometimes people just think if the food's good, mm. that nothing else matters. And it's, yeah. I, I don't know, it's, it's equally. Can... And then that it's clean, and it's inviting, and it feels good. I wrote quite a piece for the Restaurant Association a few years ago. Mm. It's on their website called How to Open and Run a Successful Restaurant in Nova Scotia. It's like a 200-page manuscript, and I put my heart and soul into it. So if you ever wanted to see my restaurant, like, philosophy and and how to go about doing it, it like, it's basically a step-by-step guide. I can't step believe I'm having to, this conversation with you, and I have read it. And so you'll see there is a whole section on design mm. in that as well so it um, it starts with a paragraph find young cheap designers (laughs) (laughs) so what what advice then would you give to uh, say designers in this context that are interested in in working with people like yourself in the world of restaurants what advice would you give them I don't know you know it'd be hard to think that someone like myself could you know, if those stars hadn't aligned for me, that I would have, I don't know, that I would have had that opportunity to do it. Mm. Like, I, now I would see it as just an integral part of it. Like, ab- absolutely, mm. totally important, essential. Like, good design pays. <laughs> yeah. In every way, it does. So then that's, that's more of an advice that restaurant owners should understand then, from your point of view. That if you don't have a space that is really well connected to the experience that you want and that Mm -hmm. the design is going to cut out one third of the magic if it's not done well. I think so. At least, you know, you know, in my case, I I would have said it. I don't know. Like, I don't know what would have happened to James on the Halifax restaurant scene. If I hadn't taken that sow's ear and turned it into a silk purse, even though it was like <laughs> some of it was fake silk, but they gave me options. Mm-hmm. So those two sexy slate tile walls that mm-hmm. were in Jane's, they could have either been painted drywall with chalkboard paint, right? Or they could have been that black slate tile, right? Right. <laughs> and so it was one area where I actually went with the. The <laughs> it was <Yeah>. so beautiful <laughs> but you know most other things I had you know I had to make choices all along the mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. and I opened with the crazy awful cutlery that was in there when I took over the diner and 
I was open about two days and two different sets of customers came up to me and offered to buy new cutlery. Oh, you really? <laughs> one was Fred. <laughs> and the other one were these dentists. Dentists who Did lived you take them the up corner. on the offer? No, I went and I, I don't know. I think it was $300, but it was like $300. I did you just not didn't have, have it. At the I time. didn't have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those famous uh, wine rack tiles yeah. that were in Jane's, I, I just remember they put those in and I don't know, was there eight or ten bottles per tile and there was four or five of them? It was like 40. I'm going, I can't buy 48 bottles of wine. Are you crazy? <laughs> like, and then really, you know, I was buying 48 bottles of wine every two days. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but at the time, it was it like, was just too much. It was yeah. too much for my brain. I mean, I, I didn't have a clue what mm. I was doing. I honestly didn't have a clue. So on the the back of house side, then, like you ended up, you know, would you say lucky there as well? If you didn't know what you were getting into, you. Yeah, I, I mean, I knew what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I didn't go into this like completely inexperienced. Like, I'm a really good cook, and mm-hmm. I loved having dinner parties. So, mm-hmm. but I, I advertised and I interviewed chefs, and I had them uh, make soup, like audition and bring in soup. Oh yeah. And then the, the my contractors and the electricians and plumbers, we all we sampled the stuff. And kind you of would voted decide? on it. Yeah. Oh, no way. Yeah. That is And great. then like five days before the restaurant opened, I'll never forget when I'd hired one. I hired two chefs because I couldn't decide between Henry and Robert. We hung the plastic up and the carpenters moved in to the dining room with the saws to finish the dining room. The chefs were in the back. And so like we knew we wanted a burger on the menu. They did a burger with just salt and pepper. And then they did a burger with all this other stuff, tarting it up. And then we made them for lunch and the... The carpenters decided which burger we were going with. <laughs> it was very collaborative. <laughs> That's you are great. an NDPer. Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Can I ask? I just because I saw your bookmark with the Venus, and can you remind me who's who? Who our Venus? Your Venus is. We were sitting at a booth in the restaurant. And you said we were close. You know, we had the design kind of worked out. Yeah. Nothing for the sign. And you said, Jane, you need a muse. And I had this book on my bedside table. But this painting is um, Lucas Cranach, a Dutch painter, 1459. But it's owned by the National Gallery in Ottawa. Right. And I wrote and got copyright permission to use her on my... I did a bookmark because I'd been a librarian on a calling card, which was fascinating. Do you know the people I see? My sister still sees people on a plane with one of these in their books. Are you serious? Because people don't save business cards, but they save bookmarks. So I wrote to the library and I got copyright permission to use that. And you know, at first I wasn't going to do that. Like I just thought, oh, I'm just going to do it. Like Mm. nobody's ever going to see this little restaurant. Like, are you kidding me? With the amount of attention that the restaurant got, can you imagine if I hadn't got right. permission to use that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't. That's good. The moral of the story is to plan for success. Everything I did was planning that I wasn't going to make it. Like, in a way. You know, in a way. So Now, tell me the order of events. You didn't have in the budget to have a sign, but that was made when you opened. Or was that no, not made? No, this hadn't been that... made yet. To get that piece of foam core. I remember it was printed at Image House on Macaulay mm. Street. 
It just took a few months to get that after I opened. Right. And I put up one of those poster signs that I'd had in the window when I was renovating. Remember? Oh, yeah. When I was oh, renovating, I put yeah, up those no. really neat photographs that sparked a lot of buzz. You know, instead of putting up a craft brown paper, mm-hmm. I put up these two these pictures of this woman and a man drinking a cup of coffee. Do you have any photographs of that? Yeah. Yeah, I do. That'd be great to see. I want to jump into these rapid fire questions. Okay. Um, just a, a nice little way yeah. to, to end it and uh, just to get some other insight outside of the, the framework of our conversation. So what is your favorite city? St. John's, Newfoundland. Oh, yeah. What is an object or thing that you feel was designed exceptionally well? My soft tub, hot tub. I, I can't think of a thing I've, yeah, had, no, that's... I've had more pleasure from in my, ever, and I've had it for 10 years. Right. As a librarian, I'm super keen on this one. What book do you most often gift? Well, I'd say the book I've most often gifted is a children's book by Rosemary Wells called Noisy Nora. It was just my favorite children's story. I just loved it. But when you read it, and, and she was like won all these medals, but when you read it now, like it's... It's one of those things, like it just doesn't pass the politically correct. <laughs> World you know, it says some words that you're not allowed to say anymore, but it's... Right. <laughs> anyways, that was my That's favorite one, children's yeah. story. What is a skill or talent that you have that would surprise most people? I did a stand-up comedy gig in the uh, mid-late 80s. That I did not know, and that is an impressive skill. <laughs> you didn't want to continue? I ran out of material. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Halifax is a tiny town. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) The nurses' union had me two years in a row to their, the banquet at their annual convention to do, you know, I I only had like six-minute routine, but nurses were the perfect audience for, for this. So if you could go back in time and give yourself advice 10 years, what would that be? What would you say to yourself? Well, I'm thinking about the quote that really the quote that sparked me to decide to change my life at 44 was Erica Jean, the writer. (laughs) And it said, and the trouble is, if you don't risk anything, you risk even more. Mm. I would just say, do it now. Like, I was 44 when I, you know, stepped out and did this. And you know, I wish I'd done it sooner. Mm. I, um, but you know, go for it. Life is short. Man, that's great advice. Well, <sighs> thank you so much for having such an important space and place that um, so many of us had such fond memories of. It was a big piece of many people's lives. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for coming in the doors. Yes, of course. Thanks for listening to the Design Makes Everything Better podcast by Breakhouse, a Canadian strategic design firm. This was episode four with Jane Wright. A full transcript and show notes for this episode can be found at breakhouse.ca slash podcast slash four. If you like the show, help us out. Subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app and share us with your friends. Have feedback or ideas for the show? Drop us a line at podcast at breakhouse.ca. Thank you.